Back up top, shot through traffic, save made, follow-up try, that one hits a body in front, and a score! It's a score! It's a score! And the Ice Bears have a 4-3 lead with 30 seconds remaining in the hockey game! Oh, what a hit! Welcome to the SPHL in Knoxville! Comes in on the right side, through the right circle, taking it and fed across, they score! Oh, yes! And the Ice Bears win 3-2 in overtime! Welcome in to the Knoxville Ice Bears podcast. My name is Joel Silverberg. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the KIB podcast, whether you are doing so on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or on Spotify. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this show a very full weekend in the SPHL. You had games as early as Wednesday last week going through Monday. So a lot to kind of recap over the last week or so. And we'll get right down to it with Knoxville. The Ice Bears had a three and three, two games against Macon, one against Huntsville. And that game on Friday night at home, Knoxville kind of off to a slow start, managed to find a way to Get back into that game. Took the lead early in the third period. Justin Smunt had a big night. Two power play goals for him on Friday. Three on the weekend as Knoxville continues to have some special teams woes over the last several weeks. But Brett McCrone scores with a little less than four minutes left to go in the game. Uh, It was a pretty good play by Riley Robertson. Took the puck up the left wing. Got into the corner. Saw Dawson McKinney out in front. Tried to put it towards the crease. It kind of hopped past Jimmy Parita. Ended up on the back doorstep for McCrone's to put it back in on the open net and Knoxville was able to come away with a 3-2 win. That was a big night for Knoxville. Evansville and Pensacola both took losses that night. Following night, not so good for Knoxville. The Ice Bears, they had 31 shots on goal, didn't have a ton of grade A opportunities and the ones that they did, they ultimately missed out on. Brody Clays was really solid in net as he uh, got a 31 save shutout and then Evansville comes back and beats Roanoke, so as Knoxville's ultimately trying to keep making at arm's length and then chase down either Evansville or Pensacola most likely just based on where the points are at right now um, to get back into the playoff field. Uh, so Saturday was kind of a step back. Knoxville, I, I thought they were really flat offensively throughout the course of the game. Um, the, you know, the power play continues to do very little in, in terms of production. I thought there were good looks at times over the weekend, but... It, it's just it, it's been a really tough stretch for the Ice Bears. Knoxville is one for twenty nine on the power play over their last ten games, and the Ice Bears only have two power play goals at home all season long, and that's significant, especially because the Ice Bears, you know, the majority of their remaining games this season are at home. It was a very road heavy schedule on the front end of the year, and so now the Ice Bears are going to have more opportunities at home, but get shut out three to nothing in front of a sold out crowd. On Wiener Dog Race Night, one of the biggest games of the year, that's that's never a good feeling. Um, Knox went over 2 on the power play on Saturday. And ultimately, you know, you heard Andrew Harrison talk about it in the pregame show on Sunday before the Ice Bears took on Huntsville. He thought that they were fine up until that third goal. So Smunt gets the slap shot just 14 seconds after Macon had a goal that, I don't want to say it was waved off, but was ruled to have never gone in and it that that was the correct call. The puck hit the post, stayed out. Um, the lamp came on, which kind of settled the confusion. Um, and then, you know, Smunt scores from the blue line. What a blast that was. Just an absolute cannon that went bar down and, you know, a tough break for Knoxville. And then Alex LaPlante goes and scores nine seconds later, kind of taking the puck out of the faceoff circle, getting into the left side and just finding a way to beat Zane Steves. 
And so, obviously, a, a pretty you'd have to imagine be pretty dejected after that. And then Knoxville, I thought, came out and really fought against Huntsville. They were outshot 18 to six in the first period. Spent a lot of time in their own end. Game was scoreless. And then Dawson McKinney, a great individual effort, blocks a shot on the perimeter chases it down up the right side and just splits Brian Wilson's pads to give the Ice Bears an early lead. Matt Duran scores a power play goal from the blue line, and um, it wasn't a great weekend for Knoxville's uh, penalty kill either. So uh, Knoxville giving up four power play goals over the weekend, two on Friday, one each on Saturday and Sunday. And then McKinney tied the game in the third period after Buster Larson. It's a tough it's a tough play to not have a keep in. Knoxville had an opportunity to break the puck out up the right side. Mason Palmer made a really good diving effort to play the puck into the corner from his knees and uh, Dylan Stewart was able to get it to Larson in the left circle. And you know, Larson just beat Sean Kuhn up high, but McKinney kind of has the puck bouncing off his shin pad is what I was told after the game. So Rex Moe kind of makes the play happen. The puck is lifted up the left side by Robertson. Moe takes it up the left wing. It's a two on one. He makes a really nice toe drag to get inside. And then his shot from what Rex told me after the game was hit the goalie's pad, hit Dawson in the leg and bounced into the net. So, uh, Dawson gets credited with the goal, was his second in the night. And then, of course, in overtime, uh, McKinney, a, another great individual effort, keeps the puck in right off the blue line, makes the takeaway, powers his way in through the right circle, and then gets up that wrist shot above Wilson's glove, beats him on the short side post. And for McKinney, you know, what a night because you know, two of his three goals were off of really, really impressive takeaways and and big time efforts to get up the right wing. And when he didn't necessarily have a whole lot of real estate, found a way to put the puck on that, but it's his first professional hat trick and his third overtime winner of the season. So obviously a big night for McKinney, a huge night for Kuhn with 55 saves. Knoxville, second consecutive road game where the Ice Bears were heavily outshot, found a way to win in overtime. They did the same thing to Roanoke the previous Saturday. And so Knoxville was outshot 57 to 23 and Knoxville found a way to uh, come out with the win. No penalty minutes for Huntsville in that game either. So Huntsville kept Knoxville scoreless through the first period, didn't have any penalty minutes, and outshot their opponent 57-23 to and lost the game. And, and hockey, just sometimes weird things like that happen. So you, you really have to credit Knoxville for the way that they fought. Kuhn had a big night, obviously. Uh, McKinney was given the Tennessee football helmet as the player of the game in the locker room. He immediately turned and gave it to Kuhn. Um, and so I, I think you saw a lot of a lot of positivity in the locker room to get a big win like that on the road, especially in front of a sold-out crowd, as Huntsville continues to have uh, really impressive attendance numbers. Um, so I think they announced nine consecutive sellouts the other day. Um, so just really neat, um, really cool to see that. But it was a, it was a packed house. Over 6,000 people were in attendance. And uh, for Knoxville to be able to go on the road and win in a tough environment like that and find a way to get a win less than 24 hours after getting shut out by Macon the night before, I thought was really impressive. Obviously, the game didn't come without a pretty wild sequence at the end. So about a minute and a half into overtime, uh, Knoxville in its own zone. Huntsville has a shot that goes wider than net. The Havoc kind of recycle out up top. It's a shot from the high slot. Kuhn initially has the puck. It appears that he has it held. A whistle blows. Puck comes loose. And I believe it was Eric Henderson that backhanded it and passed Kuhn into the into the net. And Huntsville, for a moment, thought it had won the game. Now, Dan Fendu, the referee, immediately waved it off. And so, me up in the booth, 
I call the puck going into the net, and then I see Fenu waving it off, and so I call it on the air. But I did hear the whistle before the puck went in. And so obviously there's a lot of frustration about, you know, should the goal have counted? Why can't it be reviewed? Because there is replay review in Pensacola and Evansville. Huntsville does not have it as the league is going through a trial run this year. And it's obviously a... It's obviously a big deal. Now, here are the things that the in those two buildings, Pensacola and Evansville, that at the referee's discretion, he may review plays that need the following criteria. The puck crossing the goal line, the puck entering the net using a distinct kicking motion, the puck entering the net before the goal frame is dislodged, the puck directed, battered, or thrown into the net by an attacking player. So that was none of those things were on the table here. It was a matter of a quick whistle by Dan Fenyu, and there had been multiple quick whistles in this game. And so... I kind of said it on the air, and I I would say it now. I I think that it's not a matter of whether or not the you, you know it was a good play. It's more a matter of should the whistle have been blown. And honestly, probably not. Now you could make the argument that maybe Kuhn stopped for a split second because of the whistle, and maybe the goal doesn't happen if that's not the case. But I do think the most likely scenario is you know Huntsville probably scores, and Huntsville probably wins the game if the whistle isn't as quick as it sometimes is in certain situations. Now, here's the thing. I have seen this happen before, where goals have been waved off because of quick whistles and stuff like that. I've seen it in the NHL. I've seen it in the SPHL. It happens. It's obviously unfortunate when it happens in overtime, and the team that appears to have scored the game-winning goal suddenly loses a few moments later. It's obviously very, very frustrating, so I understand Huntsville's frustration. But the rule as it stands is once that whistle is blown, the play's dead. And so the the argument about replay review is not really on the table here. Now, in the NHL, it's my understanding that they can replay review a situation like that if it's determined that no defenseman or goalie would have realistically had a play on the puck and that the uh, sequence was quick enough that the goal was scored cleanly so that they could go ahead and rule it a good goal. That's not really on the table in the SPHL. And even in the NHL, that is something that is done very, very rarely. I still remember in the 2017 Stanley Cup final, the Predators in game six against the Penguins had a similar situation happen. And and actually, it was probably more egregious in that situation because I don't believe Matt Murray, P- Pittsburgh's goalie, ever really had possession of the puck. Sean Cute at least held it for a second. But I, I believe that this puck kind of bounces off Murray and then Nashville taps it in, the goal's waved off. The office in Toronto could have theoretically called down to have a replay review to reverse that call. Didn't do it, wasn't the case. Nashville ended up giving, you know, surrendering the game-winning goal with like less than two minutes to go, gave up an empty netter, lost the game, lost the series that night. So I, I think, and I think that one was probably worse than what I saw on Sunday. Sunday wasn't great, probably wasn't the right whistle, probably was a little too quick by Dan Fenu, but to point out, it was not the first quick whistle of the game. And I think as well, you know, to, you know, to obviously it comes down to that one moment, but I think it was going to be one of those games where both teams would have felt really disappointed if they had lost. That's the case in most overtime games. But when you look at it, no penalties were called against Huntsville the entire night. Um, Knoxville hit the post three times, hit the crossbar twice, hit the post once. Uh, Sam Dabrowski had a loose puck come to him in the left circle, just couldn't get his stick down on the puck. Uh, you know, there were several opportunities for Knoxville that went sideways. Huntsville had a ton of net mouth scrambles. They just couldn't get pucks past Kuhn consistently. 
And so I think you look at it either way. And I, I think in a game like that, both teams could have had an argument about a fishing. I didn't, and I didn't think there were a ton of blown calls. Um, you know, the one that Knoxville seemed the most upset about was when Justin Levesque was tripped by Dom Procopio in the neutral zone was going for the puck. And looking at the replay, it was pretty clear that Procopio's stick got Levesque. There was no penalty, but it's not like Huntsville had, you know, seven power play opportunities either. Only four penalty minutes happened between the two teams combined. Um, so I, I didn't really have the biggest issue with how the game was officiated. It's obviously a point of emphasis when things happen in these situations, but it, it wasn't so much a matter of whether or not it was a good goal. It was that on paper, that goal never happened because the whistle did blow. And, and that's the thing. The whistle clearly blew before the puck went in. And I, I think you can look at it and say it's such an egregious call. It's happened before. It's not the first time it's happened in this league. It's not the last time it's happened in this league. Uh, you know, a couple years ago, Sean Hoppy um, waved off a Knoxville goal that uh, Knoxville was down by one, appeared to score a game-winning goal off a rebound with three seconds left to go in the game. Sean Hoppy, who was not in good position to make the call, waved it off, went over and told Jeff Carr the net came dislodged. No, it didn't. This and this is not a, this, this is not a subjective view here. The net never came off its moorings. Uh, nobody ever went over and put the net back on. It just plain as day was not a loose net it kind of started to wobble a little bit but according to the rule book if the net starts to wobble as long as it is clear that the puck went into the goal mouth and the net never actually became dislodged it should be called a good goal and hoppy for whatever reason felt that the net came dislodged it didn't because <laughs> you go back and look at the video nobody ever goes over to the net to put it back in place because it doesn't need to be put back in place so Things like this happen all the time, and so that was a game in Roanoke, and then the following season, Sean Hoppy waves off a good goal scored by Roanoke in a game against Fayetteville, I believe, because the Roanoke player making the screen is starting to back up towards the crease, so ruled goalie interference. So, you know, situations like this happen throughout the course of the season, and it just doesn't always happen to the same team where the same team's the victim every time. Uh, so it's obviously very frustrating. And, you know, I think if I also don't think that Knoxville would have had much of an argument if the whistle wasn't blown and a goal was scored off the rebound. Um, so Kuhn had it for a second. It did leak out from him. But I don't think Knoxville would really have much of a case to say, oh, well, the whistle shouldn't have been blown. I, I think it was quick enough where it could have gone either way. And I talked to Sean after the game. I said, OK, so where exactly did you have the puck? And he said it was actually sitting on my shoulder, which if you if you've got it held on your body long enough the ref is going to blow the whistle you don't need to like have it in the glove you don't necessarily need to have it completely trapped he said so I was trying to hold it hold it waiting for the whistle and he kind of acknowledged I got kind of lucky with the whistle there but it, you know he said I, I had it on my shoulder and was trying to hold it up there so you know situations like that happen it's obviously it's unfortunate for Huntsville Knoxville definitely needed the two points especially with Evansville getting a really impressive win over Birmingham, you know, coming back from a 4-2 deficit, scoring early in the third, and Birmingham appearing to win the game in a shootout, had the goal waved off, uh, ruled that it touched uh, Evansville's goalie stick as the shooter was trying to pull the puck back across to his forehand side, so it was ruled a rebound, and, you know, two rounds later, Evansville wins the shootout. So, you know, a couple of wild sequences like that involving, you know, potential game-winning goals taken off the board, so 
It's, uh, you know, it was a big win for Knoxville, especially with Evansville getting wins in overtime against Roanoke and a good bounce back effort from Evansville too on Saturday. They lost seven to nothing uh, to Roanoke on Friday, came back, beat the rail yard dogs in overtime. And then, you know, a couple days later, they uh, go and they beat the number one team in the league. And that all came after they lost to Quad City earlier on Wednesday. So uh, in terms of overall points, Knoxville doesn't really get any closer, still five points back from Evansville. And so that's why that, you know, that comeback was so huge because Knoxville twice over the course of the weekend got within three points of Evansville and the Thunderbolts always found a way to bounce back. Now, from a percentage standpoint, Knoxville is a little bit closer because now they've got a game in hand over the Thunderbolts. Evansville played four games uh, over a five-day span. So they lost on Wednesday and Friday, then came back with back-to-back wins over Roanoke and Birmingham. That's not easy to do. I know Roanoke's not at 100% right now. They don't have full strength right now, but uh, lately, Fayetteville and Roanoke, they've each lost seven of their last 10. Roanoke with four post-regulation losses in that span, but uh, so now that gap between Fayetteville and Roanoke is closer, but now Peoria, they're 4-0-1 in their last five. They've kind of started to pull away a little bit from Fayetteville. Now, the Marksmen do have two games in hand over Peoria, but Peoria now suddenly starting to chase after Birmingham. Uh, the Bulls, though, continue to be really, really good. They're 7-1-2 and in their last 10 games. Uh, that's the best record of any team over their last 10 right now. And they've still got a four-point lead over the Rivermen, and so... Uh, it's it's getting to that point where you're starting to see some races heat up, but for Knoxville, still running out of time and still needing to find a way to string things together. Now, they've won six of their last 10, which is great, and they're, they've won five of their last seven. So it, it's, been, it's been a good February so far for Knoxville, but the two losses are to Evansville and Macon. And so you almost kind of wish that you could just trade those off, that, oh, we would have taken the losses to Roanoke and Huntsville if you know, it meant getting wins over Evansville and Macon because – Either way, Knoxville has the same number of points, but then in that situation, Knoxville actually would have had the head-to-head series against Evansville, and they'd be three, they'd be two points closer. Um, actually, Knoxville would be one point behind Evansville right now if that was the case, and then they'd also have a little bit more of a cushion of keeping Macon at bay. So when you look at those head-to-head results, it really goes to show how big of a deal that is. And Evansville you know, defeated Knoxville three times in the span of a month, and right now that's the difference between these two teams um, is that head-to-head series. Now, Knoxville is still six points back of Pensacola, but the Ice Bears play the Ice Flyers twice this weekend. Um, you know, Pensacola is a very good team, a lot of talent up front. They've had good goaltending at times this year, um, and they've got two guys that they trust. So very much a possibility that Knoxville could get closer to Pensacola. Um, and obviously the Ice Bears are going to be hoping for some help from Peoria as the Rivermen have a home-and-home against the Thunderbolts this weekend, but Evansville continues to fight. They don't go away. Knoxville still has a little bit of a say in the playoff push, but you know this is a very big weekend with two games coming up against Pensacola Friday and Saturday at the Knoxville Civic Coliseum. We'll have a call for you for both those games on 92.5 WKCE, the flagship station of the Knoxville Ice Bears, and on the Knoxville Ice Bears game day app. Appreciate listening to the Knoxville Ice Bears podcast. I'm Joel Silverberg. You'll hear from us Friday as the Ice Bears take on the Ice Flyers. Thank you again for listening to the Knoxville Ice Bears podcast.